The Senate will return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. The House will return tomorrow and stay in session through Friday. Last week in the House, they came back to work on Monday and they voted to pass a bill under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House took up and passed the rule governing floor consideration of H.R. 8294, the Transportation, Housing and Urban Development and Related Agencies Appropriations Act for 2023, H.R. 8373, the Right to Contraception Act, H.R. 8404, the Respect for Marriage Act. Then the House took up H.R. 8294, the Appropriations Minibus Bill. After considering six amendments, of which three were adopted, the House set the bill aside and then took up H.R. 8404, the Respect for Marriage Act, which would repeal the Defense of Marriage Act. For those keeping score at home, the Defense of Marriage Act passed the House of Representatives in 1996 with 324 votes. I'm sorry, 342 votes, of which 224 were cast by Republicans and 118 by Democrats. In the Senate, the bill passed by a margin of 84 to 15, with 52 votes coming from Republicans and 32 from Democrats. A quarter century later, a bill to repeal that legislation passed by a vote of 267 to 157, with 47 Republicans voting with all 220 Democrats. Then the House passed a whole bunch of bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House returned to H.R. 8294, the Minibus Appropriations Bill, after considering three more amendments, two of which were adopted. The House voted on the bill as amended. It passed by a vote of 220 to 207. On Thursday, the House took up H.R. 8373, the Right to Contraception Act. The House passed it by a vote of 228 to 195, and then they were done. This week in the House, as I said, they'll return tomorrow with the first vote scheduled for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up 27 bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the House is scheduled to consider H.R. 3371, the South Asian Heart Health Awareness and Research Act of 2022, H.R. 5118, the Wildfire Response and Drought Resiliency Act, H.R. 6929, the Susan Muffley Act of 2022, H.R. 4040, the Advancing Telehealth Beyond COVID-19 Act of 2022, and H.R. 263, the Big Cat Public Safety Act. In addition, the House will consider two more bills under suspension of the rules, H.R. 7283, the Stream Act as amended, and H.R. 5093, the Wind River Administrative Site Conveyance Act as amended. Further, there may be consideration of legislation related to investing in the domestic semiconductor supply, that is the latest version of the China Competitiveness Bill, and there may be consideration of H.R. 1808, the so-called assault weapons ban. We'll talk more about both of them in just a moment. As always, additional legislative items may be added. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back to work on Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Nina Ninyang Wang to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Colorado. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm her to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Nancy L. Maldonado to be a U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Illinois. Then the Senate voted to confirm Juliana Michelle Childs to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the District of Columbia Circuit. Then the Senate took up the motion to proceed to the House message to accompany H.R. 4346, the legislative vehicle for the CHIPS Plus bill. 
That was agreed to by a vote of 64 to 34, with 16 Republicans crossing party lines to vote with the Democrats. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Gregory Bryan Williams to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Delaware. Then the Senate voted to confirm Bernadette M. Meehan to be Ambassador of the United States of America to the Republic of Chile. Then the Senate voted on a motion to proceed to SCON Res 43. That's Indiana Republican Senator Mike Braun's budget resolution that would balance the budget in 10 years while cutting taxes by $2 trillion. The motion to proceed was defeated by a vote of 34 to 63. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm Reuben E. Brigitte II to be ambassador of the United States of America to the Republic of South Africa and Sharif M. El-Nahal to be Undersecretary for Health of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Then by voice vote, the Senate voted to confirm Adair Ford Burroughs to be U.S. Attorney for the District of South Carolina, Enix Smith III to be U.S. Marshal for the Eastern District of Louisiana, and Leslie N. Blum, Lisette Nieves, and Deborah R. Cohn, all to be members of the Board of Directors of the Corporation for National and Community Service. And then the Senate was done. This week in the Senate, they'll return today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote to invoke cloture on the Schumer motion to concur in the amendment of the House to the amendment of the Senate to H.R. 4346. That's a fancy way for talking about the legislative vehicle for the so-called CHIPS Plus legislation, which has grown to become a $250 billion behemoth of corporate welfare and government picking winners and losers. Now to a COVID update. In a rather remarkable interview on Fox News' Friday edition of Your World with Neil Cavuto, former White House COVID response coordinator Dr. Deborah Burks acknowledged, and I quote, I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and I think we overplayed the vaccines, and it made people then worry that it's not going to protect against severe disease and hospitalization, end quote. Now she tells us. Now to that so-called assault weapons ban. On Wednesday of last week, just after 10 p.m., after a contentious day-long markup session, the House Judiciary Committee passed Democrat Representative David Cicilline's H.R. 1808, a so-called assault weapons ban that would prohibit the sale, import, manufacture, or transfer of certain semi-automatic weapons. The bill passed the committee by a vote of 25 to 18, with all Democrats voting yes and all Republicans voting no. Some Democrats remember the last time Congress passed a so-called assault weapons ban. It was in 1994, and it was one of the factors that led to the 1994 Gingrich Revolution, when House Republicans netted 53 seats and recaptured control of the House of Representatives for the first time in 40 years. So it shouldn't be surprising that some Democrats in the House, worried about their own re-election campaigns, haven't yet signed on to this bill. Speaker Pelosi has a four-seat margin right now. The bill only has 211 co-sponsors. Jared Golden of Maine and Henry Cuellar of Texas are definite no's. Likely no's include Ron Kind of Wisconsin and Kurt Schrader of Oregon. Neither one of them is coming back in the next Congress, so there's nothing the House Democrat leadership can do to them or for them. Other undecideds include Tom O'Halloran of Arizona, Vicente Gonzalez of Texas, Peter DeFazio of Oregon, Mike Thompson of California, and Sanford Bishop of Georgia. 
On the other hand, there's always the possibility that a few Republicans, keep your eye on Adam Kinzinger of Illinois and Chris Jacobs of New York, neither of whom is coming back in the next Congress, they might vote for the bill. Of course, even if this bill were to pass the House, it would go absolutely nowhere in the Senate, which raises the question, why force vulnerable House Democrats to take a vote on a bill that's going nowhere in the Senate? Next up, will Pelosi visit Taiwan? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi may or may not travel to Taiwan next month. If that were to happen, she would be the first House Speaker to visit Taiwan since Newt Gingrich did it in April of 1997, more than 25 years ago. She was scheduled to visit Taiwan earlier this year, but had to reschedule the trip when she developed COVID-19. The Biden White House and the rest of the senior levels of the national security establishment are reported to be very concerned about the trip, fearing it could provoke the communist government in the People's Republic of China, which claims Taiwan as a province of China. Said Biden, quote, the military thinks it's not a good idea right now, but I don't know what the status of it is, end quote. Administration officials will not interfere with Pelosi's visit out of respect for the separation of powers. Instead, they've gone public with warnings about the grave consequences of a trip to Taiwan by a high-ranking U.S. government official. Of course, the communist Chinese government is very upset about this, about the prospect of a trip to Taiwan by Pelosi. It doesn't help that the president of the United States has not simply declared his support for the trip. Telling us what the military thinks, whoever that might be, is inappropriate. Pelosi should follow through with her plans and go on this trip, if only to send a signal to the communist Chinese that they cannot intimidate the U.S. government into not sending a high-ranking government official to Taiwan. Now, more on that last latest try for a reconciliation bill. Following last week's announcement by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's office that West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin had balked at a $1 trillion tax climate bill, the vast majority of Senate Democrats went nuts. Their counterparts in the House went even farther over the deep end, expressing deep anger that they felt they had been lied to by Senator Manchin. And once again, we heard lots of talk about how one man shouldn't be allowed to hold up the passage of President Biden's agenda. Of course, Manchin wouldn't be able to hold things up if it weren't for the fact that all 50 Republicans also oppose passage of Biden's agenda. Nevertheless, Schumer announced after a Senate Democrat lunch that he and they would move forward toward a smaller reconciliation bill that focused on two things giving Medicare the ability to negotiate drug prices and extending for 13 million Americans the Obamacare subsidies that would have otherwise expired at the end of the year. The Senate parliamentarian has to approve the legislation before it can move forward under the rules for reconciliation. She met with senior Democrat and Republican staff last week to vet the portions of the bill that had been drafted at that point. We've had, no yet, we've had no word yet on how that's working out, but we anticipate that we will hear something later this week, possibly as early as later this afternoon. Now, finally, to that China competitiveness, also known as CHIPS Plus. As mentioned earlier, last week, Senator Schumer moved a motion to proceed to the legislative vehicle for the China competitiveness bill, which has now been redubbed CHIPS Plus. Yes, that's an acronym, and it stands for creating helpful incentives to produce semiconductors. 
That bill was stripped down to a $52 billion semiconductor chips bill. 16 Republicans joined 48 Democrats to vote for the motion to proceed. Once Schumer had gotten onto the bill, he immediately introduced a 1,054-page amendment that broadened the bill and turned it into a $250 billion Lollapalooza of corporate welfare and government picking winners and losers. That funding includes $80 billion for the National Science Foundation over the next five years, which almost doubles that agency's budget. Here's part of the problem. The United States just isn't a very attractive place to set up a chip manufacturing plant, and it hasn't been for a long time. If it were, we wouldn't be dealing with this problem in the first place. With our heavy regulatory regime and high taxes compared to our international rivals, it just doesn't make economic sense for some companies to do their chip manufacturing here. Taiwan, South Korea, and China lead the world in chip manufacturing, largely because with our comparatively higher taxes and tougher regulatory regime, those countries can do the manufacturing at a cost that's 25 to 40% less than the U.S. That's why we've fallen from producing 40% of the world's chips three decades ago to only producing 12% of the world's chips now. And that's a growing problem because some of those chips are things we use for military purposes and even election hardware, which we really shouldn't be manufacturing overseas at all because of the national security aspect of the equation. But Democrats are in charge and they like to regulate things and they like to spend money. In fact, spending money is the litmus test on the left for showing that you care about something. How much of other people's money are you willing to spend on it? The spending hammer is the only tool in their toolbox, and that means every problem they see looks like a nail. What we ought to do instead, of course, is shrink the regulatory regime, even as we reduce the tax burden across the board. That is not for a select group of companies in one particular industry, but for all companies. When government gets into the business of picking winners and losers, as it does with this legislation, it ends up creating a lot more losers. In fact, everybody loses because political factors come into play in what should be strictly economic decisions. That's a distortion, and that hurts everyone. And that's our Washington Report for this week.